0: Greetings, you're watching the online ministry of St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Verrell. My name's Adam Draycott. A big welcome to you today. Uh, this is for the 7th of March 2021. This is the third Sunday in Lent. And our sentence of scripture comes from Psalm 25. It says, My eyes are ever toward the Lord. He will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. They're the words of the psalmist reflecting his heart. What a great assurance from the psalms that we can come to our Heavenly Father with every need, even when we feel lonely and afflicted and afflicted.
1: John chapter 2,
0: 13 to 25. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that as we come to your word, uh, we can be sure that you speak to our hearts uh, and our minds. Uh, Show us the glory and wonder that is your son, Jesus. Lead us in the way of repentance and faith. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. I want to begin by asking you, how do you know when someone has authority uh, maybe it's a title, maybe they're a doctor, or a captain, or a constable. They're all people with authority, aren't they? Uh, maybe authority is expressed you know, in that fancy way where people put letters after their name to communicate that they're educated, that they have expertise, that conveys authority. Or maybe it's clothing. Clothing conveys authority. We saw that at Rod's installation as bishop, didn't we, the other week? All those bishops, did you see them? There were so many. Uh, Or what about our stuff? Uh, What if a farmer uh, gets himself a John Deere 6195 front wheel assist with dual wheels and he's got that on his land? Uh, that would convey some kind of authority in the farming sector, wouldn't it? Sometimes authority is demonstrated by criticism. Like when a doctor corrects a diagnosis, uh, that's a mark of authority. Yet authority is also demonstrated Uh, like a footballer. A footballer who is so good they basically pick themselves in the first thirteen, so good they become captain. It's they pick themselves, uh, demonstrated expertise, actions. Is the mark of authority as well. So we have all these aspects of authority, and I've got your brain working overtime. When we come to John chapter two, how does Jesus? How do we know he has authority? Is it his title, Lord or Christ? I, I don't remember that in the text. Is it his clothing? No, nah, probably not. Does he drive a green tract ta- <laughs> Does he drive a green tractor like a really expensive one? No, he doesn't. That's just silly. But he certainly corrected and taught with authority, didn't he? But what about in our text? What does it look like here? Because Jesus is asked directly in verse 18, "By what sign?" What authority do you do these things? And of course, Jesus' answer is striking. So to our passage, notice there are two movements. The first one begins at verse 13. It's almost time for Passover. So Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. And when he gets there, Jesus doesn't like what he sees. So he literally turns the tables. That's the first section. Uh, The second section begins at verse 18 with a little um, banter, the, the back and forth, the interchange, where the Jews ask Jesus, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And then Jesus comes out with his epic answer. I think it's epic anyway. But let's pick it up at verse 13. zeal for your house will consume me. Notice the Passover is the setting. Passover is celebrated in Jerusalem. People uh, travel there to celebrate the feast. Passover, when the blood of the lamb covers the door uh, frames of the houses as God's judgment on Egypt passes over households covered by the blood yet judgment lands on those houses not covered it's a reminder of God's grace this Passover festival as judgment passes over but also not only grace but also judgment of course and today judgment on all those who oppose God now today we know who the Lamb of God is don't we that We know it's Jesus and John the Baptist back in chapter 1 verse 29, not very far away, has already told us, Look, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so we can be very confident within the first sentence. We know that um, uh, that it's the blood of the Lamb Jesus that God's judgment passes over us. And instead, God's judgment lands on him who lived and died for us. We've barely got started in our text. Already we see that Jesus is the true Passover lamb of God. Um, it's already before us. Now back to verse 13. You've got the setting in mind. Jesus is on his way. He's arrived at the temple. He's landed in Jerusalem. What happens? Well, verse 14 He finds people selling cattle, sheep, doves, um, people sitting at tables exchanging money. He's not happy. He gets his cranky pants on. He makes a whip made out of cords. He drives them out. Verse 16, to those selling doves, Jesus said, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Now driving out, People who sell doves for a living—is that—is that called a coup? I'm certainly their their feathers would have been ruffled, I think. But anyway, that's offered for you to think about. A coup, coup, okay. But we've been here before, though, haven't we? We know this passage. We read this, and we go, "Yeah, that's right. Jesus is against." unjust commercialization of the temple he's angry about the greed of the temple hierarchy that's right temple leaders are here lining their pockets while spiritually compromising others particularly the gentiles and it's all happening where in god's house the symbol uh, of god's love and his power and his presence and authority it's his house And this is what they're doing there. Certainly the disciples have reflected on this event and pointed to Psalm 69 verse 9. Uh, Here is the one with zeal for the Father's house. That's all there. It's a zeal for God's house that will, we know, consume Jesus. Indeed, it did consume him, didn't it? Uh, Jesus, the Passover lamb, will later die on account of all of this. But what is our application here at this point? Do we then do I talk about pastors gaining um, financial advantage at the cost of other people's spiritual well-being? Is that what we talk about? Do I talk about the prosperity gospel, where empty-headed preachers of God's word tell their people to give, give, give more money, more money, more money, so that they'll be more blessed, more blessed, more blessed? Is this what I do? Give, 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 and God will return it to you in spades. That's the line. Uh, It's the promise of prosperous health and prosperous wealth. The key is you've got to put more money in the plate. And there there are preachers out there that do that. You turn on your TV. Uh, On a Sunday morning, they are right there asking for money. Uh, It's not okay. Or alternatively, maybe this is where I get critical of Christian bookshops. Christian bookshops, once upon a time, all they used to sell were Christian books and Bibles and helpful Christian literature. Now, you go to a Christian bookshop, what do you buy? You can buy mugs, you can buy uh, T-shirts, you can buy all sorts of plastic made in China, paraphernalia. It's like faith becomes this money-making enterprise. And I wonder, does that sit right? Is that okay with you? Well, we won't resolve those two things, but we will come back to this question about Jesus' authority. Because it's still out there. Certainly his actions speak to his authority, don't they? Uh, but why? Well, look at verse 18. We move to the second movement now. Are you ready? Come with me. Verse 18, the Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he said. And then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. They asked for a sign? By what sign? I thought when Jesus cleared out the temple, that was surely a sign. Maybe you did too. But no, please prove your authority to do all this. Um, Notice the concern of the Jews isn't about right worship. It's not about uh, a right way of approaching God. No, this seems to be a question about protocol. An authority. It's a, uh, who said you could do that kind of thing? And here, well, what's Jesus' answer? It's, oh, I love this answer. Verse 19, can you see it? Destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. It's almost like a riddle, isn't it? It's like Jesus is throwing it back in their face. It's almost, is he saying, you bothered about me cleansing the joint? Well, tear the whole place down, why don't you? Tear it down and I'll show you real authority. Tear the joint down and see what I'll do. I'll raise it again in three. You want to talk about clearing the temple? Tear it down, I'll raise it up in three. Wow! Let's do that. And that'll be your sign. I'm good for my part. How about you? Are you good for yours? Tear it down. I mean... It's completely outrageous, isn't it? It's a great reply because really anyone who can do that surely restore a temple within three days of its complete destruction. Of course they have authority to clear out the traitors and regulate temple practices and do all the other. It's a clever answer because he leaves them nowhere to go. they got nowhere to go. Verse 20. It's taken 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it in three days. That's what they say back. They it's ludicrous. They obviously take Jesus very literally Uh, verse 21. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he said. Then they believed. Then the light came on. Ding light bulb moment they believed in the words they believe the scripture and they believe the words that jesus has spoken do you see how important this passage is the body of jesus is the temple of god that's what he's saying The temple of God is no longer what we might call the old temple. The temple of God is not a building, any building out there in Palestine somewhere. No, God's temple, the very dwelling place of God, is the body of Jesus. And it's curious because we've already been told that in John's gospel in chapter 1 verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It quite literally says that God tabernacled among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Not a new idea. And so when Jesus says he'll raise the temple of God in three days, he's actually talking about his own death. Destroy this temple. He's talking about his own death. But he's also talking about his resurrection. Raise it in three. He could be pointing to himself as he said that. Destroy this temple and I'll raise it in three. But the text doesn't say that. Now do you see what Jesus has done here? They ask for a sign of authority. Jesus gives a riddle, points to his bodily death and resurrection. That is a sign. You want a sign? You want authority? The sign I give you is my death and resurrection. Do you see that? Destroy this temple, me, and I'll raise it in three. That's the sign of my authority. The sign of my authority, Jesus says, will be my death and resurrection. And just to add to the wonder here with the Passover triggered early in our minds, it is in this temple Jesus, the ultimate Passover sacrifice takes place. Get your head around that. Isn't that profound? That in this temple, the one we know to be Jesus, the ultimate Passover sacrifice takes place. Within three days of his death and burial, Jesus Christ, the true temple, he'll rise from the dead. So let me check again, just to make sure we've got this crystal clear. What is the sign of authority Jesus offers? It's his bodily death on the cross and resurrection. That's what he's forecasting here in a cryptic kind of way. But surely, you might say, surely the cross is a symbol of shame and disgrace and weakness. The cross is a joke to the world. I mean, if you tell a Muslim that God died on a Roman cross, it's incomprehensible to them that God would do that. The Christian must know, however, that in the cross and resurrection, Jesus exerts his power and his authority over sin, the world, and the devil, the great enemies. Sin is paid for on the cross. Boom, authority. Death has lost its sting. Boom, there's more authority. The world is on borrowed time. There it is again. And the devil is a bound enemy like a dog on a leash. All these things happen on account of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so here in John chapter 2, the authority of Jesus isn't a title like he's a doctor. It's not a status even and it's not because I said so. It's the cross and resurrection. That is the authority of Jesus, which means two things. It means that Jesus doesn't have authority just because you decide he's got authority. Jesus doesn't have authority just because you've decided to validate him and give him your tick of approval. That's not why Jesus has authority. Jesus doesn't actually need us to validate him. He doesn't actually need our testimony. That's what verse 25 says. If you think that's the case, you've got it all upside down. Jesus' authority is demonstrated. He does it. He picks himself, so to speak. Jesus has authority because he goes to the cross and he rises again and because he lives. He goes to the cross to die for you. He'll be buried all for you and he'll rise again all for you. Jesus has authority. That's the sign of his authority. Full stop. That's it. Which gets you thinking about preachers and their authority. Do they get? Does a preacher get authority from a title? Or from elegant robes? Or from a tailored Armani suit? Where, do we, where does the preacher get authority from? And you might be going, well, it's from Jesus. Well, is it because they're preaching the cross and resurrection? And the answer has to be yes. Which also means that any preaching where the cross and resurrection is not preached It's not authoritative. I'm okay with that. I think that's right. The authority the preacher has as he preaches comes from the cross and the resurrection. If we're not preaching that, then what are we talking about? What on earth are we talking about? It's little wonder the apostle Peter says, You, Lord, have have the words of eternal life. Nothing could be truer. So look again at the cross and the resurrection and see the authority of Jesus stamped there. But let me look up Revelation chapter 1. Yeah, I forgot it was coming. I will put my Bible down. Revelation chapter 1. It's this, this glorious picture of the risen Christ. And in verse 17, John sees him, falls at his feet, though dead. And then the risen Christ places his hand on John and says, don't be afraid. His authority, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm living. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. The one with authority on account of his death, and resurrection, He now holds the keys to death and resurrection. Death and life, if you want to put it that way. That's Jesus. It's a picture of his authority. Quite literally, life and death are in his hands, which means you've all got to reckon with him. I have to, you do as well, because one day every knee will bow before him. So the invitation today is to bow before Jesus as the one with authority, the one who died for you, the one who rose again for you so that you can have new life. Bow to him. Bow to him means going with grace. Take the invitation. Come to the Lamb. Get your sin reckoned with. Get right with God on account of Jesus. Don't wait until judgment comes. It's too late then. Bow to Jesus today. That's the encouragement. And I suspect most of us would say we have. And we praise God for that. Praise God that we have. And so if we have, if we are believers who follow Jesus and we have bowed to him, uh, so to speak, with our lives. Well, what does the risen Christ say to us today? Well, come with me to Matthew 28. We'll finish with this. See, I did it again. I put my Bible down. Matthew 28. The risen Christ. What does he say as we focus our eyes on him? He says. Verse 18. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. There it is. He's got authority. Therefore, okay, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The one with all that authority gives us his work to do go out and preach the gospel and see people come and bow the knee to Jesus. And as we do that, the one with all authority offers us that tender promise that he is always with us till the end of the age. Amen.